last week about how when they were all together, sitting around, having their last meal together, he said, listen, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to walk away from me and never come back. But now he's saying something different. He's saying, look, all of you, all of you are going to fall away. And step one to being a disciple, step one to being a Christian, step one to being his follower is this, agree with Jesus. Agree with Jesus. Jesus says all of you will fall away. What do all his disciples say? Well, Peter, who's very comfortable with himself, who's very comfortable just opening up his mouth and just saying whatever's in his heart. You know, he's like a lot of friends we might have and maybe how we are. We just say what we feel and what we're thinking. And he says, listen, I will die before I deny you. But it wasn't just Peter alone. The text is very clear. Peter might have been the one to go out there and stick his foot in his mouth. But all the disciples agreed with Peter, and they all were saying, no, we would never fall away. You're talking about this passage in the Old Testament where it's it's prophesied that if, if you strike the shepherd, the sheep will flee. But not us. We're not that type of people. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, He says, nobody is too bad for God. Nobody is too bad for God. But plenty of people think they're too good for him. That's incredibly true. Now, we might think we're too bad for God. We, we might think, well, if people really knew what was going on in my head, if, if we could put on the screen all the things I said and thought and did this week, nobody could ever think that I could be someone who follows God. But, but the reality is, is that Jesus died for sinners. Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came for the blind. No, but what is very much a bigger hurdle is thinking, well, I'm okay in and of myself. I don't need a savior. I just need to be a decent person. I just need to do what I need to do. This life is what's important, and I'm going to put into it what I can and get out of it whatever I can. Here's the thing. Self-righteousness, whether it's religious self-righteousness, where it's like, you know what, we don't listen to certain music, we don't dance, we, we don't chew, we don't smoke tobacco, we don't drink, we don't, you know what I mean? Whatever your list is, everybody's got a different list. Whether it's religious self-righteousness, where you just have a bunch of lists, and, and, and by the way, God wants you to have a list. There are things for you to abandon when you become a Christian. There are things for you to leave behind when you become a Christian, But here's the thing, we make our lists, and then when we are following those lists, we use that as a way to look down on everybody else. And that's where we go off the rails. Jesus wants to call you away from things, but he doesn't want you 
to disagree with him when he says to you, you will all fall away. Self-righteousness has no room in Christianity. Self-righteousness can be religious and self-righteousness can be irreligious. And it's just like, hey, I got the right politics. I, I'm compassionate. I do this and that. I, 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 I fight for this and that. And I'm not ignorant. We, we all do this. We all do this. We all pick some things that are important to us, and then we use those things to get some value for ourselves. But it will fail you. Even when we say, you know what, I'm not like those self-righteous people. And that, and that always a terrible trap. As soon as you say that, as soon as you say that, what are you doing? You're making an accusation. <laughs> it will fail you. And it will damage people around you that you judge. And some of you have been judged, and it has hurt you. Some of you have been looked at as less than, looked at as not measuring up, and it has wounded you. Jesus told us, G Jesus one time, he was visiting a very influential leader in the community. And he's sitting down having dinner, and a woman comes that everybody knows in the community. Everybody knows she's a prostitute because they've seen her out there. And she's crying. And she starts wiping Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And all these influential men look at her and say, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he would never let her touch him. <laughs> She's unclean. And Jesus rebukes them. And he says, look, I came in here, and you didn't even offer me anything to wash my feet. You, you, didn't, you didn't offer me the, the spot to sit. You, you, you just, you know, you think like, you think like we're equals. This woman knows she needs me. This woman knows she needs me. And he then explained that to the one who is forgiven much, that's the one who loves much. I will not get tired of asking you this question. Can you be hard on yourself and easy on everybody else? Can you? Because that's what Jesus demands from you. That's exactly what he wants. You need to care about what you are doing. And you need to make Jesus your king and your savior. And you need to chill out on what everybody else is doing. We are called to take the log out of our eye before we start messing around with the specks in other people's eyes. There is an old song that cries out, I pray that I will not outlast my love for thee. 
you know, look around. What is going to keep you in the love of God? If you are like, well, what's going to keep me in the love of God is my connection to God and no one else and nothing else. I'm here to tell you that you got the spirit of Peter in you. That self-righteousness, that self-confidence. You need other people. My, um, my brother, uh, Brian, who does um, CrossFit, but not as much as Jen. <laughs> but um, he, he, he put together this, this playlist to be, you know, inspired as he runs and works out. And he, he told me about this one part of this playlist that was pretty funny. Um, and it was supposed to motivate you while you're working out. And I listen to stuff too because it, like it's boring if you're working out and not listening to something. So it's a good idea. And he was saying that the, uh, the guy was like, the bird that flies alone flies strongest. What happened to Peter? He was by himself. What tripped him up? Was it torture? Was it some huge soldier <laughs> that he was scared of? It was a slave girl that caught him by himself. And that's how it is, isn't it? That's, that's, that, that, that's how it is. She could hear his accent. You know, she could see the way he looked. You know, people from the, the Pinelands, the Pineys, right? They have a certain look. <laughs> they have a certain way of talking. People from North Jersey and New York, they have a certain way of looking and a certain way of, of talking. And it's different than the people around Philly. Even the people in Gloucester have a certain way than people in Cherry Hill. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and people could just tell, like, yeah, you from that like hill country, you from that, that area, that, that, that man that, that's being, you know, tortured right now and is getting ready to be put on the cross. You, you're, you're with him, right? You, you sound like the way he sounds. And Peter was exposed. He said, all others might fall and fail, but not me. You know, I have struggled with habits, and I'm sure you have. You ever, I, I remember, uh, you know, being a new Christian, and I remember saying stuff like, I will never sin sexually again, which is a dumb thing to say. A few months go by, I'm doing great, then the thought enters into my head. Man, I hadn't, this hasn't even, like, really been a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I started to think, and, and, and anyone with experience of fighting temptation of any kind knows, knows what I'm talking about. The moment you start to think like, like, I kind of feel like I'm out of the woods. Get ready for an avalanche of temptation. <laughs> Get ready. The moment you start thinking like, I haven't had an angry outburst in a while. I, 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 I haven't, like, screamed in my kid's face until they cried in a while. <laughs> and, and the moment 
that you start to pat yourself on the back. The moment you slide into self-confidence and self-righteousness, you are liable to fall away. Because it's always pride that comes before the fall. It's always this, wow, I'm killing it. I'm out of the woods that comes before the avalanche of temptation. And this is exactly why you need church family. This is exactly why you, you can't do this alone. You know, I, you ever watch those, those movies where somebody's about to take like a sacrifice, they're about to make a sacrifice? I remember, I remember, I was, my, my daughter right now is into Black Panther. She's like on a Black Panther kick and she wants to watch it over and over again. It's an older daughter. And there's a, there's a part where, the, um, where Everett Ross is like in this simulation where he can fly these planes and he can shoot down the other planes and he has to shoot down the other planes because they're carrying these weapons that they're going to take all over the world and they're going to cause all kinds of death and destruction. And so he's got to shoot all these planes down before they leave Wakanda. <laughs> But the thing is, is that he's not in the plane. He's in a simulation. He, he, he's just like operating a computer. He's in this HQ, this, this headquarters area. And there is a ship right outside of where he is just shooting. And the wall is breaking down. And he's able to like for a moment kind of not be running the plane. He's for a moment able to see that he's about to die. He's able to see that the ship is like shooting at him and it's like 50% integrity. And you know what he does? He goes right back into the simulation because he knows, he knows that if he doesn't shoot down all of these planes, what's going to happen? A whole bunch of people are going to lose their lives. How do soldiers get their strength? They could do incredibly good and incredibly terrible things when they're around others and they're fighting for the same cause. And it's the same with following Jesus. You can have the courage. You can have the courage to walk with him and follow him. Why do we pray? Every Tuesday, every Thursday, why do we gather together, have meals every month to, in small groups in our homes and then have a meal every month together at the church? Why do we meet on the day that Jesus rose from the dead? Why do we do all these things? Because we are capable of facing some stuff and doing some incredible things together when we have each other's courage. But when we're isolated and we're on our own, it's over. And you know this is true. You know, that you, you know that when you get cut off from everyone, you know that your faith starts to shake. You know, some of us grew up in families where they told the kids, keep our business out of your mouth with outsiders. Right? Like, there's family stuff that you don't talk about or just with anybody. And, and, and really, that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. <laughs> Nobody wants their kids talking about what, you know, mom and dad did, whatever, the morning of, or what, 
what fights they had or what problems they're going through in real time, right? But you'll never get better if you don't have a place where you can be honest about the business of your family with other people. You're never going to get better. Nothing is ever going to change. There are certain things that, that grow in the dark. There are certain fungus, right, that grow in the dark. And then there's other things that grow in the light, like trees and plants, and they need that for nourishment. But, but l- listen, brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is the things that you don't want in your life grow in the dark, and you need to expose your business to people you trust. And there's no other way. There's no other way. You know, we all want to look better than we really are. We all have that Peter in us. Who has a little Peter in them? I do. Right? I do. For sure. Oh, I have said this stuff. I have said this. Like, everybody can, you know, mess up. Everybody can stop. Everybody else wants to give, you know, other people dog food. I want to give them steak. I want to I do something great for Jesus. And that's all coming from a heart like Peter. That doesn't agree with Jesus. When he says to them, all of you are going to fall away. We need to agree with Jesus. And so I will not judge those who struggle with addiction. Because we all fall away. I will not judge those who have suffered great trauma. And it's affected their ability to be consistent in anybody's life. I will not judge those whose life is running away from them. God has something better for you and for me than self-esteem on the one hand and shame on the other. See, shame is, is not just, is not the same thing as guilt. Guilt is this idea that, hey, I made a mistake. Right? You're guilty. You know you did something. You know, you, you made a mistake, or hey, I sinned. Hey, I screwed up. That's guilt. Shame is, hey, I am a mistake. Shame is, I am a screw up. And we can sing all day long with like the old Beck song, like, hey, I'm a loser, baby. <laughs> You know what I mean? We can, we can act like, like it doesn't matter, like there's nothing underneath of it all, that we're just okay, just in our spot. Like we can have a bunch of friends where we don't think about these things and we just kind of move on and sail down the river of life. But the reality is, is that every one of us has this response to being disconnected from the people we love and disconnected from our maker, and that is shame. Peter felt shame when his self-esteem failed him. He was full of confidence. He was the guy to do it. He had all the confidence in the world. He walked on water, right? He walked on water. He told off the guards when they came to arrest Jesus. Like, he just cursed them out. <laughs> he didn't just curse them out. He grabbed his sword, right? And he's like, let's go. 
Peter didn't lack self-confidence. And, and, and there's, some, there's something to this. And I've said this before, and it's funny, but it's true. Jesus calls disciples, and he renames them like, like Jesus anticipated the WWE because he named his disciples things like Sons of Thunder and The Rock. And Peter is the one who he called The Rock. And Jesus saw something in him that could be redeemed. But there is supposed to be confidence in God, not only in ourselves. Esteem of God, not only in ourselves. Jesus reminds them, you all will fail. Peter didn't want to hear it. Peter is the same one who is just going through it, like all of us. And Jesus is telling you, and he's telling me, you're going to fall you're going to fail. You're not enough. And what will you say to him? Honestly, we need some grace for ourselves, and we need some grace for each other. How are you going to change? How are you going to change? Number one, there is restoration. Peter does get restored. He doesn't end up like Judas. He doesn't end up just falling down and never getting back up, right? Peter is used by God again, and God can use us when we fall. God can use us when we fail. But first, we have to admit that we are powerless in ourselves to change ourselves and that our lives are unmanageable without God in him. So I'm going to ask you tonight, are you tired of failing? You get help. You don't fake it till you make it. I mean, that's what a lot of this stuff is that we read, a lot of the preaching we hear on TV. What is it? Just like affirm yourself. Oh, I am this warrior princess. I am so great. I, nothing can touch me. I, I am, you know, the, I am a child of God. I am all this stuff. And you know what? What you need is to start with admitting that you have failed. And that's where God will meet you. Peter does not walk around with swagger. He walks around with a limp. He is the great shepherd, the great rock. But how is he a rock for the church? It's because he is a humble man who knows that he failed Jesus, and yet Jesus still called him to serve him. And it's the same, it's the same for us. I had, I had a professor... Her name was Dr. Cheryl Schiffman. She's actually a professor at the seminary that I'm going to start this summer a doctorate program at. Um, and I'll be honest with you, this is not very flattering for me, but Peter is the main source of the Gospel of Mark. And this is where we learn most about Peter's failings is from Mark. So Peter sets the example, you know, the gospel that has, you know, Mark's recollection has most of Peter's. <laughs> I'm sorry, I said that wrong. The gospel that has Peter's recollections of what Jesus did and how it all was. 
just highlights all the things Peter did wrong. <laughs> and so we should be humble. And I had this, this, this professor, and I, I, I really didn't have very high I, a view of a, a woman professor, you know, um, for whatever reason. And um, she was probably the most, uh, she wasn't probably, she, she had the greatest impact on me of any professor in seminary. And she wrote this article called The Discipline of Discipline because there was a time when a big publisher was writing about the discipline of solitude, the discipline of Bible reading, the discipline of prayer, all these things. And she's looking out at everybody and she's saying like, you know what? Like, People are growing up without any discipline in their home at all. They, they, they don't. And, and one of the things she told, me, she told me was that when you don't have self-discipline, and this is something that I have experienced, the way I grew up, and the thing that I see again and again and again with people that come in and we minister to, when you don't have any self-discipline, how do you get self-discipline? And the answer is, is that you need some outside other discipline so that you can move into self-discipline. If you didn't have a dad that kicked you out of the bed and didn't let you just sit on your phone till 1 a.m. and didn't let you just do whatever you want, then you're going to grow up and you're going to struggle getting a job. You're going to struggle with life. You're going to struggle with relationships. And how do you get to the point where you have discipline? If you didn't have a mom that ever told you to brush your teeth, you know what? You're going to be someone that just has some bad breath. <laughs> and you're going to need some help <laughs> from the outside. Listen, brothers and sisters, let me close with this. The answer to shame, I mean, we see later on in, in Mark, right? What happens? Just like Jesus said, just like he said, the rooster crows, right? It's before the sun comes up, and he did it. He did it. He denied Jesus three times, just like Jesus said. And then it says he goes off on his own, and he was broke, and he wept bitterly. He was full of shame. And the, the answer to shame And, I, and for a long time, I have to admit to you that I've had a half answer and a half gospel. Because I came from a church that really emphasized, like, let's pray that we would know how high and how wide and how deep the love of the Father is. Right? That, that we would know the gospel. That we would know we are sons and daughters of God. That we would know who we are, know our identity, apply it in our lives. But that's not exactly what Paul says. We look in Ephesians 3.18. He says, I pray that you would feel and understand the love of God. Like if you were in a relationship with somebody and they just said they loved you, but you didn't feel it, would that help you? And they just said over and over again, but I love you. 
but you didn't feel it? And so don't just have like a half answer the same like I've had where you just read Bible, hear sermons, all this stuff, and people can tell you to their blue in the face that God loves you, that he's forgiven you, that you're okay. But the reality is, is that you need the Spirit of God to speak that truth into your life. You need the Spirit of God to allow you to feel his love and his forgiveness. The Word of God says in 1 John that, that His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are His children. There is a work that happens that isn't something you think yourself into. It isn't something that you just get from understanding. What did, what did, what did, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do for Peter? You know, in the end of the Gospel of John... We, we see Peter goes back to his old life, and he's fishing, you know, which is interesting. That says a lot. A lot of times we think when Jesus called these men to follow him, they sold their businesses, and yet here, here he is. He's still got his fishing boat. <laughs> he's still got his business, amen? <laughs> he goes out on the water, and what happens? Somebody from the shore says, hey, you know, you're not catching nothing there, but go on the other side. <laughs> go on the other side of the lake, and you'll catch some stuff. And so they're like, well, let's listen to Stranger Guy because we're not catching anything. So they move their boat to the other side of the lake, and what happens? They just, they just can't even pull in all the fish. Their nets are breaking. God is just blessing them with this crazy, crazy harvest of fish. And then they pull up to the side, and they find out that the one who told them to do that was Jesus. The one who hung on a cross. The one who was that shepherd who got struck and they all fled, and they hid in the upper room, and they all went to their own way, and they all like started going back to their old jobs. He, he's the one that was talking to them. And then he's already there. He's got a fire. And, and, and Jesus cooks the fish for them, and he eats with them. I mean, how, what is their minds thinking? They are having fish cooked by a man that they know died. And yet he lived. And he looked at Peter. And he asked Peter, do you love me? And he said, I do. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he asked Peter again, do you love me? And Peter must have with a tear rolling down his eyes because he knows he denied Jesus. He knows he fell away. He said, I do. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus asked one more time, three times, the exact amount of times that, Jesus that Peter denied Jesus. And he said, do you love me? Peter said, yes. He said, feed my sheep. God wants to use you even when you've fallen away. The key is 
you can fall away without staying away. You can fall away and you can get back up. And my favorite proverb in all the Bible is from Proverbs 24, 16. It says, for the righteous fall seven times and they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. There's a gospel um, song by Donnie McClurkin that goes, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up because a sinner's just a saint who falls down and then gets up. And that's literally the only thing he sings for like 10 minutes. And I love it. (laughs) And that's the life of a Christian. Not judging others. Getting back up. Loving. Pursuing God. Staying in community. Realizing that's where your strength comes from. You know, Peter walked around not confident, not full of self-esteem, but he walked around with a limp. And at the end, we know that he was crucified. They came and they grabbed him and for preaching the gospel. And he said, I will not be crucified like my Lord, who I denied. You have to turn that cross upside down. And so he was crucified upside down and suffered. Listen, brothers and sisters, the power to live is not in confidence and righteousness in and of yourself, but it is in the love of God. While guilt and may say that you screwed up and shame might say you're a screw up, the love of Jesus looks at you and says, I know more things about you than you know about yourself. I know how really broken you are, and yet I embrace you, and I hold your hand, and I love you, and I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to work with you, and every time you fall, and you will fall, you get back up. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. God, thank you, Lord, for Peter's example. Lord, we thank you that he did not stay down. We thank you that he got restored. We thank you for that conversation on the beach over that fish where you restored him. We thank you that just days later he was preaching and thousands came into a living relationship with you who were lost and cut off. Lord, we pray, Father, that That our church would be a place of second and third and fourth and fifth and infinite chances. We pray, Father, that our church would be a place that doesn't um, put out the smoldering flax, that that candle which is about to go out, and that we just blow so hard because we want to see it grow, that we actually snuff it out. We don't break the bruised reed, that we don't move people around and try to get them to be further than they are, and then we break it. Lord, give us both zeal and a desire to grow. We pray for the leadership huddles to be full. We pray that people would make every effort to grow, to press on to what you have for the, in them. But I also pray, Father, you would make us gracious. You would make us a place for the sick. You would make us a place for those who are struggling. You would make us a place for those who have fallen. Lord, would you work in us, and would your grace just run through us, and would this be a place of healing physically and emotionally and spiritually in the name of our Father, of our, the Son, of God and the Holy Spirit, we pray.
Amen.